traditional sports betting products just aren't really built for the modern sports fan anymore. You know, this kind of whole relationship of a user betting against a sports book or a bookie just wasn't working. You know, when the sports book controls what you can bet on, when you can bet on it, what prices you get, when you can cash out, this kind of full level of control. It's no wonder that the house always wins. From our perspective, one of the core theses we kind of started with was that as more kind of retail traders and, you know, kind of casual interest people get into the stock market, it kind of feels more like gambling for traders. And on the other side, as more kind of analytic and quantitative minds get into sports betting and take it more seriously, it's starting to feel more like a traditional financial market in a lot of ways. And so what we're kind of seeing and what we, what we kind of noticed was this convergence of kind of gaming, finance, and even, you know, having crypto and Web3 kind of being in the middle of that already, what we're building here is almost a Robin Hood style sports betting platform built on a decentralized Web3 backend. This is the Sports Tech All-Stars podcast, showcasing outstanding startups and initiatives in the global sports tech ecosystem. From Sports Tech X, the leading source for data and insights about sports tech, here is your host, Ron Maholtra. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Tech All-Stars podcast. There's been a lot happening in the sports tech space, which I will get into later. But first, I will welcome onto the show my guest for today, Neil Zhang. Hey, Neil. Hey, Ron. How are you doing? I am good, my friend. I am actually in Goa, outside of the cold of Berlin, uh, which is a, a nice swap. Uh, I believe Berlin today is around about three or four degrees, and I'm sitting in 28, so I think I'm doing. I think I'm doing pretty good. Um, but uh, Neil is the founder and CEO of Frontrunner. Frontrunner is a decentralized, blockchain-based uh, sports prediction marketplace. All right, and Neil has also got into some money recently. Yeah, Neil raised a nice round of uh, uh, a couple million bucks, and I'll let him tell you all about it. Neil, before we get into uh, Front Runner, I want to know about you. Uh, I was introduced. I must give some context. I was introduced to Neil, um, I think about a couple of months ago, uh, through uh, Brian Werner, who is a good friend of the podcast from Beyond beyond the game network i believe brian is also an investor in front runner um just just a really good guy well connected in the ecosystem and he asked me to get in touch with neil and neil explained the product to me in what i thought was a very interesting way so i'm going to let neil do that and tell our audience all about front runner but first neil i want to hear a bit about you uh, let them know where do you come from where are you based and what helped you build this cool app yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm Neil, co-founder and CEO of Frontrunner. Uh, we're a co-founding team of four co-founders who all met at the engineering school of the University of Pennsylvania. Um, me, myself, uh, I've been a poker player and fantasy you know, sports player since middle school, um, you know, from the early days of watching poker on ESPN. Uh, I'm someone who started learning stats in high school because I was mad that I was losing to my friends in poker and fantasy sports. And from there, you know, once I was in college, really dove deeper into the world of DFS, which led into sports betting, online poker, and kind of even eventually, you know, crypto trading, stock and options trading, and kind of beyond. Um, but, you know, about kind of us and our co-founding team, you know, we're all based in New York City here um, in Queens specifically. So shout out to anyone who's specifically Queens, not just, uh, you know, Manhattan or Brooklyn at this point. Um, but, you know, we're a group of friends that have really been, you know, arguing against each other about sports for as long as we remember. And through that, you know, have you know had arguments about fantasy sports, sports betting and kind of the like. And what we really realized kind of through our, you know, over a decade of being together was that, you know, 
traditional sports betting products just aren't really built for the modern sports fan anymore. You know, this kind of whole relationship of a user betting against a sports book or a bookie just wasn't working. You know, when the sports book controls what you can bet on, when you can bet on it, what prices you get, when you can cash out, this kind of full level of control it's no wonder that the house always wins. And so in our case, you know, as longtime sports bettors, as longtime kind of, you know, stocks and options traders as well, it made us wonder, you know, why is this the way that sports betting is? For, from our perspective, one of the core theses we kind of started with was that as more kind of retail traders and, you know, kind of casual interest people get into the stock market, it kind of feels more like gambling for traders. And on the other side, as more kind of analytic and quantitative minds get into sports betting and take it more seriously, it's starting to feel more like a traditional financial market in a lot of ways. And so what we're kind of seeing and what we, what we kind of noticed was this convergence of kind of gaming, finance, and even, you know, having crypto and Web3 kind of being in the middle of that already. We're trying to build something that's kind of right in the middle of these kind of, you know, converging areas. And so that's really what Frontrunner is. What we're building here is almost a Robinhood style sports betting platform built on a decentralized Web3 backend. You know, if you think of it as taking a lot of the recent innovations of DeFi, allowing people to quickly spin up markets, allowing, you know, liquidity provision and combining that with aspects of sports betting presented in a Robinhood format. So the example I'll give is that, you know, like other prediction markets, shares in our platform pay out $1 if you are on the correct side and $0 if you're on the incorrect side. So, for example, if the Yankees are priced at $0.55 cents to win against, say, the Boston Red Sox in a given game, it would imply that the market believes that there's about a 55% chance that the Yankees will indeed beat the Red Sox in that case. And, of course, once you have that share of the Yankees to beat the Red Sox, if they go up big early in the game, you could actually sell your shares you know, to basically – Lock in your your gains, lock in your profits. Um, alternatively, sell early to you know limit your losses or limit your kind of you know downside in the case where they go down early. And so the whole point here is to give you know transparency and liquidity to the world of sports betting and make it a market driven price model rather than just user versus the sports book or you know a single source kind of you know actor there. Understood, and I love the background that it comes from from poker. And you guys have obviously come from let's say an analytics based background. You understand. Um, probabilities and odds and how they need to work together to create an interesting, engaging product. Um, I want you to spend a little bit of time actually talking about the use cases. You, you, you've already said that it, basically the market is made from zero to one. Yeah, for a layman better, if they want to come in, um, the the price that they come in at in factors in the odds that are built in, which you see on other platforms, right? This is basically the logic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so the way that our platform functionally works is that we're a decentralized exchange where each market is built on a smart contract. So you can think of it as, you know, whenever a market for the Yankees versus the Red Sox is created, it is now a central limit order book based market where all the kind of data flowing through it is fully transparent, right? Whenever all the trades going through, all the kind of price action that's going on there, it's all done on a market basis. And so users can not only take, you know, the market price, you know, kind of just taking the price that's already available to them. They can set limit orders as well. So that allows them to effectively set their own odds, right? If the Yankees are priced at 55 cents right now, but I think that that's a little, you know, that's not quite where I want the value. I can set a limit order for, say, 45 cents. And so if the Yankees drop to that point, then I can place the order automatically. So it gives people more optionality in general, right? You can take the market price, which is more equivalent to kind of placing a sports bet like it exists today, right? Taking the odds that are currently available. But the alternative here is that you can set that limit order instead to essentially set your own odds for a given bet and find the value where you see kind of fit. And maybe even more powerful than that on the buy side is the sell side. So once I have shares of the Yankees, I can set a limit sell order at, say, you know, 75 cents to lock in that 20 cent per share profit once there's some value there, right, to make sure that I'm not overly indexed on just the pure result of the game, I can actually get some liquidity out during the process. And 
that's what we've really found in our early kind of user base on our test net is that kind of the longer that users typically use the platform, the more value they start to learn in that sell order side of things, which is something they're not typically used to having on traditional sports books in the same way. Yeah, and I think usually the issue that happens with that is that when, I mean, because it's obviously based on real life, um, real life performance, that there is one, let's say, activity which is uh, which is raining larger than another activity. What I mean by that is that if a team is winning, then there will be more people who want to either cash out than suddenly start buying in, right? Which essentially mm -hmm. means that the market doesn't net off, which makes you a market maker. Is that right? Is that how you're currently operating? Are you the basic capital that flows into the uh, into the system? Yeah, so while we've been on testnet so far, we've been really testing out our own market-making capabilities here. And, you know, in the sports betting world, it is something where it's perhaps a little bit easier in some ways than kind of other markets. And the reason for that is that there are there's a ton of sports betting data that already exists, you know, live feeds, live mm -hmm. odd feeds, things like that. The fact of the matter is, is that there's basically about three major companies worldwide that provide the majority of the sports betting lines for kind of the majority of sports book products that already exist. And so we're currently taking in that data to help us set kind of our initial prices. But we also do plan on bringing in some external market makers as well. Um, you're actually seeing kind of in the industry right now, the trading industry in particular, that there are more and more firms that are taking a look at sports betting as a more serious kind of, you know, trading world to get into. Um, you know, we're very blessed to have a Susquehanna International Group, the uh, trading group, be our largest investor in our seed round. And they're really excited about the prospects. Uh, or sorry, let me take a step back here. They're a trading firm that does a lot of business in you know, traditional trading markets, but is also kind of famous for what being one of the first institutional trading firms to have a sports betting operation. Um, they actually have an Irish operation where they already do kind of institutional level sports betting in books kind of across the world right now. They're looking for more exchange style markets as well, where they might be able to be, you know, potentially more market makers, liquidity providers like they are for other markets just in the world of sports. And so we're still exploring options there and kind of exploring partnerships there. But Ultimately, our goal is to not have to market make our markets. You know, once we kind of get that initial kind of user flow and volume in, we'd rather be a neutral exchange and let kind of the market take care of the prices. But we're very aware that early on here to make sure our users have the best experience possible, we need to have some kind of price setting and initial liquidity provision to make sure our users have the optionality to buy and sell shares throughout the course of a game. Of course, it's all about like a tipping point that you reach from from yeah, a user perspective. Uh, before we come to to the funding round, I wanted to talk about something that you touched on there, which is the influx of sports betting or how sports betting has become as big as that it has. And of course, this is uh, all to do with the passing of legislation or legalization of sports betting, which happened, started in 2019 through New Jersey and has swept across the, the US and there's no question, or there's no stopping this wave, certainly. Um, so this legislation, which has kind of activated this market at the same time, you're operating in a completely unregulated space, uh, right? Which is also going to see legislation. There's been a lot of talk about how um, sports betting or DeFi, well, DeFi in general will be regulated, but especially in connection to sports. Um, how do you feel about, let's say, the regulatory framework that you're that you're operating in? On one side, where sports betting is opening up and adding more capital, but on the other side, you don't really know what the regulatory framework will look like for, for uh, let's say, a decentralized or blockchain-based application. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this question is exactly why one of our first hires after raising our seed round was a general counsel, um, someone who could really help us kind of sort through kind of the regulatory side of things. But the way it, the, the short answer of it is that it's complicated and it's always changing, right. um, even though state by state, it's still coming out. You know, there's new states that are coming in with this legislation. Actually, the legislation for existing states is even changing around peer to peer betting as that's becoming more in focus for certain states where it's, you know, originally it was just peer or user versus sportsbook betting that was allowed. Now in some states, peer-to-peer -peer is becoming allowed. And for 
kind of some context around our history. When we first started this company, we were really focused on the U.S. market. We were going down a Tennessee licensing path. You know, it's a relatively affordable and accessible one for an early stage startup. It's around a million dollars and, you know, about a year of kind of, you know, process work to get there. But we mm-hmm. discovered early on in our process that, you know, in states where sports betting is legal, peer-to-peer is not necessarily explicitly legal. And in our case, being a kind of decentralized exchange, it is ultimately a peer-to-peer product here. We're yeah. never even taking custody of our users' capital, actually. And so with that, it was complicated. You know, the state legislators kind of kicked us to the CFTC saying, hey, this looks like a financial product, like, go talk to them. Then in talking to the CFTC, it was, no, this is a gambling product, go back to the states. And so it was kind of a complicated relationship. And this was about, uh, this is summer of 2021, when we were first kind of exploring the licensing path. And for us, we actually always were very focused on going down a regulated license path from the beginning, right. hopefully as a gaming product, not as a financial product, because it's becoming to the point kind of where you just can't be an unlicensed product and expect to be able to grow sustainably um, anywhere around crypto or sports betting at this point. And so with that, what we really determined was ultimately the best option for us was we're actually getting an offshore license to get started. You know, We were aware that we could probably get a U.S. license if we wanted to, but the process would be a much longer path and a much more expensive path for us to get off the ground. So instead, we decided to go after a much cheaper, kind of faster license that is still legitimate in the Isle of Man. Um, we're, current, we're in the process of submitting that application um, actually very soon here. But you know, the plan there is to give us a f- much faster path to market legally to allow us to start experimenting and finding product market fit in a much quicker way rather than just sitting in sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, regulatory hell in the US for, you know, a year to a year and a half burning funds without any sort of proof that our product is kind of on the right track there. And so that's kind of where we are. We expect to receive our Isle of Man license kind of towards the end of Q2 this year. Um, our test set is already live, though, a free-to-play version is available pretty much worldwide uh, right now to give people an idea of kind of how the platform works. You, you basically get airdropped, uh, you know, a couple hundred bucks of test at USDC to get started trading on our platform. We currently have NFL markets, NBA markets, Premier League markets, and we're always adding kind of new markets alongside of that, you know, as we're going, really looking to experiment with kind of, you know, what our users are most interested in. But kind of with that, you can actually convert some of that fake uh, USDC to real USDC as kind of rewards here. So that's how we're running it right now. The tech is, you know, probably 80, 90 percent of the way to actually where it needs to be to go live. We're really just waiting on the licensing right now to be kind of wrapped up there. And so we can really start uh, launching with our real money revenue generating product. And then from there, we'll kind of explore how to get back to the U.S. market in the most efficient way possible, which is likely going to be more possible once we have a little bit more proof behind us that, you know, this is a product that works and it's interesting to users. And probably once we have a, l- a little bit more funds and a little bit more clout behind us to kind of push some of these uh, regulatory conversations along. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's pretty standard well-trodden path of setting up base in a Isle of Man or Malta or, or exactly. uh, let's say an offbeat de- reg- destination, which is more open to regulation. I also read that in your nice little TechCrunch article, which came out um, about a month ago, I want to say. Um, I think I've just got the article pulled up here. It says that you're legally allowed to operate in Canada, Mexico, parts of Europe, across South America, Africa and parts of Asia as well. So you're obviously looking at a global market. But my follow-up to that is that we're also seeing this global wave I mean, I wouldn't say a wave yet. It's more like a small puddle with a little ripple that is uh, emerging, which is obviously following following the legalization in, in the US. We've seen Brazil move towards legalization of sports betting. We've seen Japan move towards like pass active legislation to legalize sports betting. It's a very active conversation where I am right now in India. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, for for just for context, Dream Eleven, which is a, a fantasy daily fantasy sports player in, in a lot of ways, which is the, 
by far the biggest company in the space in India, not decentralized, they're just traditional Web2 based, um, about 150 million users. They've just posted um, their financial uh, financials a couple of days ago and I was going through them. I mean, this is an $8 billion uh, valuation company, which is yeah. operating at a couple couple billion in revenue, or sorry, a billion change in revenue um, and, and profitable already. So this is a big, big conversation happening globally. Does that affect how you think or in, in the sense of, hey, there are so many opportunities now all over the world, or as you said, no, we're going to test and then come back to the US. This is the market that we really want to stay in. How do you... How do you like say wrap your head around the global um, sports betting opinions. Yeah, I mean, I guess the way I would describe it is that being a U.S.-based uh, co-founding team, we're always obviously you know hoping that it will be able to make in the U.S. But to be totally honest, we're not tied to it. Um, and kind of through testnet and even our early mainnet launch, which won't be ac- available in the U.S., it's very possible that we learn that we actually find traction in another area of the world, which is you know not the U.S. In which case, we'd have to seriously you know well one explore the regulatory environment to make sure that it's you know a place we can target. But if it turns out, for example, that, you know, in Indonesia, for example, we suddenly have a huge lift of customers, we'd be foolish to kind of avoid it and kind of, you know, to signal as noise and not go after it. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that actually even on testnet right now, you know, we have about 5,000 Discord users and about, you know, 10,000 Twitter followers. Our demographics right now are actually shaded about 50-50 between the Western world and Asia in particular. We'd actually have a much larger following in Asia than we would have originally expected, kind of just based on the fact that there's a lot of blockchain interest there that just found us through various articles and kind of, you know, our kind of PR push that's been happened towards the end of last year. Um, and so it's definitely an area we're interested in. It was also related to the fact that, you know, we were close to the one championship team and, you know, went to a couple events with them mm-hmm. and we're thinking about a partnership with them. And so we're always exploring kind of different avenues and actually kind of along with that, We've actually seen some of our competitors go live um, on mainnet recently, you know, to kind of the major sports. You know, BetDex, for example, went live with uh, the World Cup, and they're still doing Premier League um, soccer right now. Even in the U.S., there's Sport Trade in New Jersey, uh, who's kind of alive with kind of the big five U.S. sports. And so for us, we're kind of happy to take a step back on Testnet, and you know, we don't need to do as much work covering the big sports right now because we can kind of see what th- what happens with them, see what kind of popularity there is with them, and see what areas they really resonate with. And so, so a recent change on our side actually is looking into more niche sports. Um, you know, and what I mean mm-hmm. by that is we're really looking right now specifically on test that into long tail sports and esports that where users don't currently have other options to bet on kind of their favorite things. These are things like, you know, world chase tag. These are things like professional ultimate frisbee or lacrosse. Even these are things like smaller niche esports that are more reliant on grassroots campaigns right now. And so we're going to let kind of the incumbents and the big players that are currently live right now experiment with the big sports. We'll see what's successful with them, what regions maybe, you know, how are more successful with them. But for us, we really want to find these kind of smaller communities and really see if we can get a foothold there as a proof point that, you know, especially if users are looking for something new and they're more open to the idea of, you know, I don't already have a fan, do I go to, why would I use you? That's kind of the exp- what we're experimenting with right now and really hoping to find a foothold in, in these kind of smaller communities. And then from there, you know, hopefully we can kind of prove our worth, prove our concepts, and then, you know, kind of ladder our way up to the larger and larger leagues until we can really show that we've really been able to resonate with consumers. Honestly, rather than just competing against, you know, again, the incumbents, if we're going after the NFL, for example, in the U.S., we're competing against FanDuel and DraftKings that each are probably spending $100 million each on marketing. It's just a really tough kind of sell for an early stage startup worth, you know, candidly limited funds compared to these, you know, multi-billion dollar companies at this point. So it's all about for us finding the roads that are, you know, kind of path of least resistance at this point, where we can get to communities more effectively for cheaper budgets. 
another community that's kind of res- we've resonated with early on is the poker community, for example. Um, so th- those are, that's a community that's taken some notice to us, are really interested in our concept. And so they're really kind of waiting on the sidelines, waiting for us to go live. Um, in fact, our mobile app will be ready in the next three to four weeks. Uh, so around Feb- in the mid-February is what we're targeting for our mobile launch, which is also going to be kind of a pretty big milestone for us in terms of being more inclusive. Um, sports betting, as you probably know, is very much mobily focused right now. And we actually learned recently that even of our own community, 40% of our users actually only have mobile devices that don't even have a laptop or desktop for them to use. And so by not having mobile up to this point, we've actually been you know, limiting our kind of you know, reach um, just through that. So these are some of the interesting ways that we're thinking about growth and kind of what communities to target in kind of the near you know, six to 12 month range. Stay up to date with all things sports tech and sign up for our newsletter. You'll get a monthly breakdown of the most important developments in the global sports tech ecosystem, paired with exclusive interviews with industry leaders. Get all of this and more delivered directly to your inbox. Sign up today at sportstechx.com. Speaking of smart money that is coming in uh, into your ecosystem, you've just done a raise, right? It was about a month ago or thereabouts that uh, you guys raised around near $5 million, I believe. Uh, I'm pulling up this article as well. You have a bunch of investors, uh, Soma, Gilgamesh, um, Sesquihana Capital, a bunch of names. Um, what does that do for you? I mean, obviously, more money means you can go to market. You've already talked about launches uh, of uh, mobile products in different markets that you're operating in getting licenses, I'm sure, like all of this money goes a long way to that. But once that happens, like what is your runway, let's say, till you're maybe out of the market again, or that you think that this money, how far do you think it can take you and what do you hope to achieve with it? Yeah, so this round was uh, announced in December, but was actually raised uh, last summer in 2022. So we've uh, it was raised in like end, by the end of May of 2022. But the round was really focused on company development in terms of you know hiring and expanding our engineering team. Uh, the regulatory development, like paying uh, for the external legal firms and the licensing process there. And then like three, really, it's the product development in terms of getting our product out, getting the web app ready, getting the mobile app ready, paying for some of the sports data providers, getting them onboarded. And also along with that, um, one of the other milestones we're really looking to hit with this round is getting our market maker SDK up, up and running as well. Basically creating our fully fledged you know, external API where users can come in, you know, whether you're a small player or a large player, come and get the data you need from the markets, place orders and programmatically place and you know, set prices if you're looking to do so on our platform here. And so that's kind of been the entire focus of this. And we'll likely be going back to market with another round, um, probably right after our mainnet launch for kind of, you know, Honestly, the true go-to-market and marketing here. You know, this round is really there to get ourselves ready for the licensing, get us ready to kind of launch with the real money product, get there, and then hopefully, you know, show some initial traction, get some initial proof going, so we can raise that, you know, hopefully really cool Series A with another set of investors that can really help us not only get from the zero to the one in terms of getting the product out the door, but actually, you know, grow that product, spread the product, and really, you know, allow us to flourish in terms of the kind of global market of sports betting. All about zeros and ones for you guys. Um, all right, let's talk about some successes. What have you, what have you found has been your biggest wins uh, to date? Apart from obviously a nice chunk of change coming hitting your bank account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for us, you know, because we're still pre-revenue, the wins are kind of more. And in some ways, they're a little bit more conceptual up to this point. I mean, there are some things like what ended up being. What we think about at some of our biggest successes so far are some of the decisions we've made in terms of some company structures and kind of how we've set things up. And what I mean by that is, for example, like the decision to go to an offshore book instead of just fighting the U.S. regulators was 
I think in our book, a pretty big win ultimately. I mean, we had spent probably about four to six months kind of spinning our wheels on the US regulatory market before we realized that, you know, the Isle of Man is more of a six to eight month process rather than a year to a year and a half. That is kind of was kind of a big win. We're really glad that we went down that path rather than, again, just be sitting there without a product available, just waiting for the US to hopefully open their doors at some point. Um, another one which we've actually gotten both great feedback on and are very happy with, especially given the market right now, is was the decision not to do a token sale before the launch of our mainnet or kind of the success of our product. You know, kind of from day one, you know, me and my co-founders, we've all been involved in kind of the crypto and blockchain scene since 2016, 2017. We've seen the rise of so many different chains, so many different tokens and the fall of them in different kind of markets here. And so, you know, there was a lot of kind of initial debate around both us and some of our external partners, you know, whether or not we should release a token kind of leading up to our mainnet launch and kind of everything there. But what we kind of determined was that, what we don't what we want to do is release a token once we once we're sure we have a product in the community worth supporting with a token rather than starting with a token and then tr- kind of trying to figure out the use case out afterwards you know and in yeah. that way you know we raised the money we raised our pre-seed round in very much a bull market we raised our seed round in kind of the tail end of the bull market as it started to turn there and now that the markets are kind of you know in the state they are especially the crypto markets we're very glad not to have all the external pressure and noise of having a token price where everyone's kind of you know right demanding certain things of us that we just candidly weren't ready for. You know, the plan for us always was to launch without a token on mainnet, wait probably nine to 12 months to make sure we found product market fit, to make sure that we have a strong community that is looking for a token and that we can actually find a true utility case where the token is enhancing the value of an already successful community and product, rather than, again, starting with a token, having all these people kind of join us and banging the table, hoping for, you know, the token price to go up or, you know, for more use cases for the token and kind of go down that path instead. So, for us, those are kind of the wins that we've seen that we've gone through kind of in terms of, you know, internal company development. Again, we're really hoping that our biggest wins are in the future once we go live with kind of our, um, you know, revenue generating product. But the other things that are kind of on the horizon for us are these partnerships with the smaller leagues that could really be a major boon to kind of the attention we're getting and really finding, you know, the communities we really resonate with, along with, you know, ultimately, you know, maybe even the poker community coming in, which would be a great kind of uh, a win for us as well. I think you're the first person probably in the podcast we've done like 120 plus episode who spoke about a win as something they from something they didn't do rather than something <laughs> that they did do right i mean you yeah. talked about not setting up your your uh, let's say a regulatory process in the us or not launching a token and that itself in hindsight is so much learning for you guys i mean yeah the decisions you take uh in those Absolutely. small moments have a long long impact and yeah especially in the face of the market the way it is the, the bear market that we're in yeah, it's a pretty decent idea. Absolutely. I mean, I think what people are finding more and more in the Web3 world is that the wins often are the things you don't do instead of the things you do, especially in this kind of world where there's so much experimentation going on right, right. now. Oftentimes, it is the versions of, I didn't do this thing that everyone else was doing that ultimately can be the bigger wins in crypto. So just like a kind of a funny uh, nuance of the world that uh, we're in specifically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you absolutely, when you're talking about going against the grain or not having the herd mentality, um, yeah, it's very, very rarely does that bandwagon ide- ideology that let me just do it because everybody else is doing it. Very rarely does that lead to success as long as you're clear about the reasons why you're doing what you're doing. Um, yeah, then at least you have a path. You're giving yourself a chance, let's say. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're ready. Yeah. All right. Um, I think we've covered covered quite a bit. We've covered the future plans. We've covered the fundraise. We've given some sort of timeline on what you guys are coming out uh, with next. So uh, immediate action. So there's the app you said yep. is going to drop in February. Yeah. So there's a little shout out. If, if you need, what, what do you need, I guess, effectively? I mean, your fundraise is a ways away. Uh, are you just looking for more people to come onto your platform and test? Do you... 
one broadcast. I, I don't know any players from the ecosystem. Like, what's your what's your CTA if I had to give you one right now on the podcast? Yeah, yeah, no, appreciate it. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, we're always looking for more users to come in, test, give us feedback on the product. We're really um, test set, especially looking to learn as much as possible from our users to give the best user experience possible by the time we launch, you know, in uh, late Q2 um, or early Q3 at latest. Um, along with that, though, you know, kind of talking around the partnerships thing that we're kind of experimenting with right now. If you are have any interest in any sort of niche sport or niche esport that you wish you could bet on that you couldn't right now, like would always appreciate, you know, a shout out or a DM either on Twitter, Discord, Telegram, kind of wherever it is. We're always looking to find new, more and more kind of these small pocket communities where we might be able to make an impact, come in and kind of release markets for you to start experimenting with whether free to play or real money in that way. And so whether you're uh, involved in one of those leagues or just, you know, a fan that wants to be able to bet on it, like, please let us know either on Twitter or Discord. And we you know, we'll try to get there where we can. And you know, in that kind of way, we just don't know what we don't know in terms of the niche communities. You know, we're trying to do crawl our community and find what's out there. But again, there's so many sports leagues out there that people just are unaware of that we would love to, you know, hopefully bring more users to and also, you know, learn more about in general. So those are probably our main two asks at this point um, outside of, you know, just continue networking around, you know, people who know sports and, uh, you know, investment in general. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. And actually, I didn't address it when you mentioned it earlier, but I think that's super smart. I think we're in a world today where Practically everything is a new sport. I wouldn't be surprised if like raindrops in the window will, will not start attracting betters. <laughs> um, but that's the kind of world that we're in. And so trying to target those, maybe not raindrops in the window, but like trying to target like small communities which have uh, fast-growing communities. Pickleball, for example. I don't know if you... Well, not, you I was about to say, Kevin Durant yeah. buying a pickleball team or investing in a pickleball exactly. team. is such a great sh- version of this. Exactly. We can see a sport that grows so quickly and suddenly gets into yeah. the national limelight that way. That's exactly the kind of stuff we're looking for right now. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was just doing, I mean, this is now not so much for the podcast, but I was doing research on um, uh, on pickleball because there's somebody else that we're helping with the fundraise, et cetera. Um, and yeah, the numbers are staggering. I mean, and pickleball is just one example. It, there's so much yeah. it's like a voracious appetite uh, from athletes, basically maybe people like us who want to play new sports, but also from broadcasters, mm-hmm. from sports players, from books, etc. Everybody is like really looking for that yep. next big thing. All right, and hopefully you guys will be at your. Hopefully, you'll be the front runners at the next big thing. I mean, that was a really cheesy pun, but forgive me. I've got to drop one of those once in a while. All right, uh, Neil, my last question, the one I always end the podcast with, I believe we're all sports fans first. I do spot the Lakers jerseys uh, behind you. So um, what has been your favorite sporting moment, either as a fan or athlete? Um, yeah, I can't wait to hear. Yeah. So there's... Maybe two of them that I can mention here. The first is a little bit less about like the sports in particular. So um, I went to Lower Marion High School, which was uh, Kobe Bryant's alma mater. And I was very lucky to um, be there when our high school got renovated um, with the Kobe Bryant Gymnasium. And so one of the coolest early memories of me, and actually why I'm a Lakers fan, uh, despite the fact that I'm not from L.A., was that Kobe Bryant actually came and threw a party when his the gym that he basically funded for our high school um, was opened. And so he brought he, the Lakers were playing the Sixers in Philadelphia. He brought the Lakers to our school um, and basically hosted a big party with them. Um, it was um, not Kid Cudi. It was Chitty Bang, actually, and had this big concert. And so we all got to meet Kobe Bryant and basically like have fun with him. He was uh, super loyal to the school and would always come back every year. And so just one of my favorite sports memories, which is like partying with Kobe Bryant while I was in high school, which actually got me into NBA basketball originally. Kind of like a crazy memory to look back on. Uh, but maybe like secondarily on top of that was uh, watching Kobe Bryant's last game at um, wow. Wells Fargo Center against the Sixers. Um, you know, right. we bought tickets for that game before we even knew it wow. was his retirement season. Iconic. Um 
Exactly. So we, we had the uh, tickets at like 30 bucks or something. Then by the time the game came around, they were selling for like 300, 350 once he announced his retirement tour. We do, as college students, you know, who are on a budget, we debated selling it. But obviously, we ended up being super glad that we uh, went to that game and seeing him play for the last time. You know, just seeing all the Kobe Bryant, Laura Marion jerseys in the crowd and everything was really a special mm-hmm. moment, uh, which was really cool. So the, both of my memories are Kobe Bryant related, but certainly some of my favorite memories that I've had uh, in sports. Absolute legend. Um, yeah, rest in peace. He's given so much to the world of sports and and to sports tech. I mean, he set up a fund. He obviously had a yeah, career absolutely. lined up uh, in this space. Um, but yeah, let's say we're we're still pulling for him. We're still pulling the space ahead uh, in the memory of the of the Mamba. Well, Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure, man, having you on the show. Uh, a quick shout out. Where can people get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, our website can be found at getfrontrunner.com if you're interested in trying out the product or trying out our platform. Otherwise, you can follow us on Twitter at FrontrunnerXYZ. That's our uh, Twitter handle right there. And then from there, you know, we can find our Discord either on our website or through our Twitter directly. Do it. All right, get frontrunner, getfrontrunner.com and find them on Twitter and on Discord. Neil, absolute pleasure and best of luck with everything that uh, comes up here. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be on the show. All right, guys, that is it for our first episode of 2023 we're trying out a new format um what else have we got coming up um from sports tech x well uh we're slowly coming back online with our content i just did uh, our first youtube show of the year uh, earlier today uh our newsletter and podcast will also be coming out in the next few weeks we have an interesting update uh, we've just brought on a new investor as well uh, a deal that i guess similarly as similar to neil described was in the making for a few months and now we're finally going public with it will mean that we're as sports tech x more active uh, in deploying capital, that's what who, who our mandate for this year is. So if you're a startup looking to raise funding, um, yeah, give us a shout. I, our details will follow in due course, but at least I can say uh, the the ink is dry on that contract, so I can come out with it. Uh, startups who are, who are fundraising, feel free to reach out to me You, if you have my email, ronasportstechx.com or find me on LinkedIn. Else, I'll see you guys in a week's time with more, I should have mentioned, fan-related content. That's our theme for this month. So more startups who are interacting with fans and, and fan-focused solutions. And we're going to follow up follow this up with more themes every month. You'll see all of that on our socials. Yeah, cheers guys. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Sports Tech All-Stars podcast with Roan Maholtra. If you like our show, let us know and leave a review. And if you want to know more about us, check out sportstechx.com where you can find our latest industry reports and updates. For a deeper dive into all things sports tech, check out our comprehensive database, SportsTechDB at sportstechdb.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us at SportsTechX on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Join us next time for another insightful conversation with a leader in sports tech.